it. Welcome to Strata Stories. My name is Tom Schreiber, and I'm Director of Marketing here at Strata. Strata is a single EMR platform and revenue cycle management service for physical, occupational, and speech therapy practices that helps you achieve a 99.99% reimbursement rate. On today's episode, we mix things up a bit. Paul Singh, the CEO of Strata, has a coaching session with Justin Stiver, the owner of Total Therapy Florida. Justin grew the practice from one to now seven clinics across Florida. Paul and Justin dive deep into how Justin should build the media part of his business. If you'd like to learn more about Strata, head over to stratapt.com or email us at hello at stratapt.com. Now, without further delay, here's today's episode. You're literally the first practice owner I've met that has legitimately hired a, a content person in-house. Why don't more practice owners do that? It's like most practice owners might spend like 1% of their budget on advertising or marketing. It's like normal and you're like the exception. So can you talk us through as a practice owner, how you made that decision? I think it was more on me looking at the big picture of, you know, where I want our brand to go. I want the company to grow. I knew that I needed to do something outside of the typical model. And I've been thinking about it for the last 12 months and, you know, it's really kind of funny timing with what's going on with Strata because I've been kind of watching you guys. I'm like, okay, this is like exactly what I've been talking about. And, you know, these guys know what they're doing here. And you guys were kind of like the final, maybe the straw that broke the camel's back and made me finally say, let's go. It's just, I'm watching all these other like industries, fitness and even physical therapy, but more towards sports and, and things like, like that. I'm watching them grow this online brand and I'm not seeing it in the typical brick and mortar adult you know, type of physical therapy practice. And that is where I was like, man, there's an opportunity here. You know, who are we competing with? There's maybe um, three or four people that I think anyone would actually recognize in this space. So I was saying to myself, we have the brick and mortar to support it. We have the intellectual property being generated every day to actually power it. All we're missing here is the easy part, which for me, it's not easy, but you know, just to capture it and post it. So obviously don't tell me anything uh, that you're not comfortable sharing, but out of curiosity, so you've hired this content person, uh, I think you said a week or two ago. Can you share sort of any metrics or sort of like, not the actual numbers, but can you share any metrics in terms of like, what you may have said to this person where you're like, hey, here are the metrics I care about and here's how often we're going to talk about them. Like, I'm just curious, like, how did you structure that if you're able to share that? Yes, and that's actually something that I'm tasking him on as his first you know, three or four months here is I basically told him, I'm dedicated to doing this for two years. Even if we don't make any money, not even a single penny off of this thing for two years, I'm dedicated to this for two years. And basically after two years, I'm going to try and close this business down unless you tell me why it would be crazy for me to close this down. You know, Not close the business, you mean close down the content operation? Close down that content operation. Basically shut down that side of this business. Because we're branding this as a separate brand. Um, it's not called Total Therapy Florida. You know, it's actually called the Active Adult brand and it's going to be 
extremely PT focused, especially to, to start, but we were going back and forth. And I think maybe last time I was discussing names, like I think we were at Total Therapy Labs and you know we were trying to figure out how to brand this thing. And I said, you know, I want to pick some kind of name that our target demographic can you know relate to. And so the active adult, like who, what brand is the active adult going to look at and say, that's me. And it just kind of popped in my head, the active adult, you know? So, and ultimately that's kind of who we're going after. You know, we don't want the person who is lazy because they're not going to be online trying to find this specific content, to, but we also don't want to go after the person who, who thinks of themselves as an athlete, maybe because someone who thinks of, of themselves as an athlete, that's not our target demographic either. So, you know, it's a little bit of a, a fun project for me. So I'm looking at it as it's going to be a lot of fun. And worst case, I you know learn a bunch of stuff from it. And that's it. This is cool because nobody really ever talks about this and nobody's even doing this, right? So you're, you're really on the front end of this. So I definitely have some opinions, but I want to keep asking a little bit just to get a sense of where you're at, because then I, I have a couple comments that I want to make on this as well. So you've got this two-year time frame with this uh, sort of content effort. Can you talk a little bit about, as of right now, before I give you my opinion, like what's your sort of cadence with him or her, whoever this content person is? Like, are you guys meeting daily, weekly, monthly? Are you looking at metrics daily, weekly, monthly? We're meeting daily, yeah, right now. It's a lot of catch up with him to get him up to speed on on our brand, you know, and almost get him thinking like me because I'm going to be the face of this, this brand. And we're going to, you know, tie in other physical therapists with us as well as guests kind of to the, I really want to get him thinking like me. So I'm kind of micromanaging him right now saying, no, yes, didn't know that, you know, that model that you're picking out for this picture is just not who we want. That message is not what we want. This is what we want. Yes. You, that's great. Nailed this one. And then after a little bit, I'm going to pull back, but we're, we're really looking to, to shoot content at least two days per week. And, but right now we're just building out all, all the infrastructure websites and all the social media channels, things like that, doing logo stuff, doing trademarks, all, all that background stuff now, because it's just so new, but we're going to start making content here in probably the next two or three weeks. Yeah. Okay. And then in terms of like, you know, you made this comment that you're committed to it for two years. And at the end of two years, if it's not working, you know, you shut it down. Based on what you know today, like, is there like a number you have in mind or a particular metric that you're going to be watching really closely where you're like, hey, if that number doesn't move, I'm killing this project based on what you know today? I haven't done enough research yet to get that exact number. But yes, there is a number and it's going to be, you know, how many subscribers do we have? How many people are actually sharing our stuff? Are we doing a good job? Is it measurable? You know, ultimately, this has to be something that we have to be able to actually monetize in some way down the road. So, but we don't want to, you know, put that focus first. We're just kind of trying to build our lists and our subscribers and just have a whole bunch of people that care about the stuff that we're making. And then we can do that down the road. Okay, there it is right there. It's subscribers and, and, and all that. So let's talk about it. Let me um, kind of give you a couple thoughts here, just shooting from the hip. I'm glad we're talking about this because again, Thomas and I just two hours ago recorded an episode about this. So this is really interesting. So just listening to you talk about it, I know you're a thoughtful guy, right? So like we have a good relationship behind the scenes. So I kind of know a little bit how you think. 
But just to kind of get right into it, first off, in terms of content creation, publishing, all that stuff, I think it's really important to just set the expectation on day one that not every piece or effort is going to work. What's more important is, is um, sort of the at-bats, right? So, you know, it's like, hey, if we're going to record twice a week, that probably means there's at least an episode or two getting published every week. Now, it might be delayed by one week, right, because of post-production and all that. But you really just got to, like, get that content recorded, get it cut up, have a process, and, like, every Tuesday or every Thursday, whatever it is, a new episode drops. Each episode comes with two or four clips, you know, that sort of thing. So consistency is key because you're not going to know what works. Not every piece of content is going to hit, you know, and that's okay. The other thing is, is understanding the metrics of success. You've alluded to it, but I just want to make sure we talk about it openly for anybody listening. Email list, that's the bottom of the funnel. Now, look, you're a practice owner, right? So there's no debate that the bottom of the real funnel is patience. You know, ultimately you kind of alluded to this idea of, of monetizing these efforts. No doubt about it. The bottom of the funnel is it's got to lead to patients walking into one of your many practice locations, for sure. And optionally, as you increase this audience size, it should potentially bring you another business opportunity or two, right? Now, that's a little bit more abstract. But again, the bottom of the funnel for these efforts, like how you know it works, quote unquote, is whether... You can attribute some amount of patience saying, hey, I saw your content and or some additional business opportunities that come out. Now, before we go any further, let me also talk about that attribution part. We're recording this with you in August of 2023 for anybody that listens to this later on. And the reality of the situation right now is that attribution is really hard. The reality is, is that if you're running Google Analytics or anything like that, all of those reports by definition are what, what is called last click attribution, which is a cool metric, but it's not at all real. So as an example, I'll just give you an example of strata numbers, just so you can kind of like run some numbers on your own. If you were to look at our lead traffic, meaning um, people that either give us an email address or request a demo, generally speaking, 75% of all of those leads in their last click, the last thing they did before they actually became a lead for us is they searched for us. They came in via search. If you don't think about it any further, that would immediately tell you, hey, kill off all the content, kill off everything, just go SEO, right? So now you got to pause and you got to think about how you and I and our families actually buy stuff today. And a good example of that is, is like, a couple of weeks ago, my wife said she had just kind of casually mentioned to me that she liked this one dress. And she, my wife's super cool. She's not at all the kind of person that will buy nice things for herself, you know. But I saw it. I made a mental note. I'm like, I got to buy that. And I happened to like get the link. I opened the link and then something happened. And shame on me. The time between when I decided to buy it and the time I actually bought it was a week, literally a week. And what's interesting is, is that I like clicked on the link. And then there were all these ads or whatever, and then I forgot to buy, right? And then for like a week went by and I was getting retargeted. Like, you know, I was on CNN.com and it, uh, the little ad popped up. A week later, I was like, oh God, I forgot to buy that for Dana. I then clicked that link and bought it. So for me as a customer, if they were looking at me from a last click attribution, you could attribute that $100 sale or whatever it was to an ad. But the truth is, it was a referral. She gave me a link. So my point is, is that attribution is never going to be right. And if you're going to go down this path, it's to understand that you have to look at where your content fits into the buyer journey. 
And there's going to be a little bit of guesswork there, and that's okay. So anyway, attribution is hard, is the main thing I want to say. And then the second thing I want to talk about here is, is first-party relationship and third-party relationship. I think you're smart to meet with your content person daily right now, because I think that counterintuitively, you need more touch points with your marketing people when the budgets are small. Because if you don't figure that all out now while the budgets are small, as you hit success and your budgets get bigger and bigger, if you don't like kind of set those metrics in stone early, build the processes, build the controls, it's going to be terrifying. Like someday you might decide to put $5 million into this content operation. If your content team right now can't generate a clean process with whatever your current budget is, three, five, 10,000 a month, it's going to get even scarier to go bigger. You know, so anyway, daily touch points are really good. So now where I'm going with this is follower counts, view counts, all these other things are important, but they're vanity metrics and they're third party relationship. Well, what I mean by that is, is like, and this is a common mistake a lot of people make, by the way. So let's just say you set the goal hypothetically and you're like, hey, I want 100,000 subscribers on YouTube. Let's just say hypothetically, that's one of the metrics, right? And let's just say your marketing team crushes it and you hit that number, right? That's amazing, first of all, but also scary as hell because that's a third-party relationship, meaning you're one algorithm change away from Google taking that away from you, right? And so where I'm going with this is, is first-party relationship. That's what is the relationship you can build with these people where nobody can ever take it away from you. First-party relationship is basically this. Do you have their email and permission to email them? And slash or do you have their phone number and the permission to text or call them? You have one or both of those things. You have first-party relationship and nobody can take it away from you. You can screw it up still, but at least nobody else can take it away from you. So now that we talked about those two concepts, it's important to understand that I'm not saying one is worse than the other. What I'm saying is, is that for you as a business owner, your marketing team needs to generate those third-party vanity metrics. Like they do need to go hit those subscriber counts, follower counts, all those things. But they need to have like almost like this dogged, focus on converting those into first-party relationships. So any sort of incentive to keep those followers and those subscribers to want to give you their email. You know, maybe it's exclusive content in the email. Maybe it's, and I'm just giving an example here, right? Like you might say, okay, we're going to create a piece of content every week that's a video or, or something like that. Let's just use Strata as an example. It's not the only way to do it, but it's the only way I can explain what I'm uh, sharing with you with hard numbers. So if you look at our social channels, right? Like we're putting all the content on my social channels because I don't think people follow brands today. They follow people, right? And so what we publish on my social profiles and, and everywhere else is only the clips. Those clips are designed to generate new followers, generate eyeballs, generate view time and dwell time. But actually, if you look at all those things, they all have sort of a call to action that says something along the lines of, view the full episode here. And that full episode is actually on our website. So yeah, the videos are on YouTube and stuff like that, but we've created a page for every episode on our website that has the transcript, the embedded videos, the embedded podcast uh, players, everything. And by getting you to come to our website, then 
you know, there's a little pop-up 30 seconds later if you come and it's like, hey, want to get notified every time Paul puts out new content? Put your email here. We follow those conversion rates. So again, we're using the third-party platforms to generate eyeballs and distribution and then capturing that traffic or luring that traffic, giving them incentives like, hey, you want to see the rest of this? Come to the website and see the whole thing for free. Oh, by the way, you want to see more? And then that's how I get the first-party relationship. And that's, as you think about this, I think that's a good model to look at is, you know, if the bottom of the funnel is obviously patience and additional business opportunities, then the middle of the funnel is email capture rate, you know, how many people sign up. And the top of the funnel is awareness. How many eyeballs across the platforms saw your stuff? Yeah, absolutely. And am I correct, Paul, that like these third-party relationships, they're thinking the same thing only backwards, right? Like these third-party platforms like YouTube, they don't necessarily want to make their platforms easy to collect to be able to take their viewers and, and make them your own. So there's some rules there. Like you can't just say certain things in the videos and hey, you know, you can't say, hey, you know, YouTube has got some problems here. So come into our website and, you know, stop watching on you know, YouTube. They're going to obviously not not like that. So you got to be careful. Yeah, yeah. The short answer to your question is, yeah, all these third party platforms want to disincentivize anybody from leaving. So, for example, let's just say you posted uh, something on LinkedIn If you've ever noticed, for example, on LinkedIn, if you click a link on a LinkedIn post that takes you off of LinkedIn, they actually stop you at a page and it says, are you sure you want to leave LinkedIn? And they're doing that because, you know, they're advertiser driven, right? So if traffic leaves LinkedIn. So for you as a content creator and for me as a content creator, that's the reality that we're facing, right? You know, I guess what I'm going to say to you on this topic is, is like, don't fall into the trap of trying to optimize that. Because if you try to optimize that, it's me and you, little guys, against multi-billion dollar corporations. We're not going to win that fight. So don't worry about optimizing that too much. What you really need to be focused on is is generating interesting content. And that's really goes back to that first comment I made about just at-bats, you know, like hit the record button, document, 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 and look for the clips. You know, next time I'm down there with you, I'll, I'll, we'll go to dinner and I'll do this on a napkin. But let's just say we take a little proverbial napkin, like literally a small piece of paper. If I were to draw out your strategy for your content person, and I don't mean to be too prescriptive, I'll just kind of maybe just talk about our strategy, right? Our little napkin strategy is record for an hour, two to three days a week. And during the post-production process, try to create anywhere between two and eight little one-minute clips from that longer form content, right? So let me say this a different way. Record two or three times a week. When you post-process that, the deliverable is one podcast episode, one YouTube video, and then somewhere between two and eight clips. And those clips are no more than a minute long. There's something that are like, it's like a punchy part of the episode. They're formatted for whatever network you want. So like they could be formatted vertically in post-production for YouTube shorts or Instagram Reels, or LinkedIn Squares, or whatever you need. And that's the deliverable. And then when they publish, like this episode will be published, that publishing means we create the episode page on our website that has that video embedded in YouTube. By that point, we've published the episode on all the major platforms, but the podcast player is embedded right into the episode page on our website. And then the transcript is right there on our website. And then, and only then, 
do we start publishing those clips that we created onto the social networks and start directing traffic back to the website? But again, the key with all this is to say, don't let yourself or your content team get into the trap of trying to optimize for clicks and like, you're not going to beat LinkedIn or Twitter or whoever, right? Like they're all changing their algorithms daily to avoid people from leaving the platform. You create interesting content and um, start to like get people following you on those platforms. And inevitably they're going to then click through your, uh, you know, your bio or something like that. And then, and then get there. So what do you think Paul, about the, because the two strategies for us are obviously my thinking is, and you tell me if, if you think I'm on track or not, um, by building our, our brand online and not really thinking about a geographical location and not hammering local you know, market, just kind of putting it out there for anybody. And then kind of, if that brand is successful and, um, then our local local brand, which could actually equate to, you know, more patients coming into our actual physical therapy clinics will just happen organically. Or am I doing it backwards? I should start off small, local, and then bring that brand to more of a national, you know, level, world level. You know, the hard part about this is, is that this is a very, very good question. So I think where you're going with this is, is you have multiple locations. And in your case, you know, anybody looking you up would know that all your locations are in central Florida, right? So you really can't treat somebody that might be in Wyoming. But we said a few minutes ago earlier in the episode that, you know, the primary goal here is email capture. And then the secondary goal is potential other business opportunities. And when I said that, you agreed. So I'm going to now take that to answer your question here. You've implicitly or explicitly chosen to build a brand that really is just anywhere there's an active adult. You picked that name, you're picking that content. And the beauty of it is, is that an active adult can be anywhere really in the US and theoretically anywhere else in the world, right? Now they may not be treatable by you uh, unless they were in Florida, but way back at the beginning of the episode here, I made the statement and you sort of agreed right away. It's like, I guess where I'm going with this is, is that because of what you've already selected, you're probably better off going national with this. And then as you figure out this funnel, then we can figure out how to maybe turn them into patients. I don't want to talk too abstractly, right? Like, I guess, let me talk to you like I talked to Thomas about this, right? Thomas is our director of marketing and his, you know, his team handles all of this stuff. What I say to him is like, look, sales are not a marketing problem. So don't think about sales. I want the marketing team thinking about awareness and eyeballs. So the top of our marketing team's funnel is awareness, eyeballs, all those third-party vanity metrics, right? The bottom of the marketing funnel for Thomas, like where his role and his team kind of need to stop is at the email capture point and like the engagement, like, you know, and all that, because there's no direct revenue attribution to marketing. There cannot be, given what we just talked about. Last click attribution is just impossible, right? So his job is to drive awareness. Now, given our business, one difference between your business and mine is that we can't do billing and RCM and EMR stuff outside the United States. Like, I mean, we could, but like, it's not what we do, right? So we are limited to building like our content for the US and, and that sort of thing. In your case, hypothetically, an active adult in Brazil could be a target as well. I think your target market is way bigger, way bigger. And so what I would actually do if I was talking to your marketing and content team is I would say like, look, 
your goal over the next 90 days is to drive enough eyeballs and awareness to our daily or our weekly content or whatever your cadence is so that we're getting somewhere between three and five new email addresses per day. That's a big goal, by the way. Like they probably won't hit that, but that's the big goal. Like if you're getting three to five new emails a day, that means that the flywheel is starting to work. And if you can get three to five emails a day, we can get 50 to 100 emails a day. And as that funnel starts to grow, now as it grows, we can start to talk separately about, okay, how do we target some of these folks that may be in Florida? We can get really technical on that. Well, if they access it from a Florida IP address, maybe they're seeing ads for, like where this is gonna go, like I'm not trying to get too nerdy with you, But like, let's just say your email address now has grown to 10,000 active adults, right? One example of how I can use that list now is like, you're going to be emailing them new content every week, but I can take that list hypothetically, load it into something like Facebook ads or whatever platform you're going to put your ads on, right? And we can actually then target that audience and say, hey, Facebook, I only want to target the part of this audience that's accessing from a Florida IP address. And I want them to see a Total Therapy of Florida ad or something like that. But again, it's a chicken and the egg thing. You you can't really do that unless the flywheel is growing on the email side. But just to put this into context, like you're talking about a very large audience here, which is good. Active adult. I mean, I don't know what you're thinking of an active adult, but I would say an active adult is anybody that's above 40. Yeah. And we were thinking more towards the 50 plus age, you know? And that's our target. Right now, our target market with physical therapy offices are over 65 because we want the Medicare age patient. However, we lose. If you look at our our strata dashboard, we're losing. We're not converting like a ton of these people that are less than 65 because we don't accept their insurance or they're the people that are a little busier, maybe working full time, need a certain time. They can't get it. They lose their focus. They decide to do something else, you know? And, but those are also the people where I'm, I'm asking every patient that we get, what did you do for yourself before coming in here? What, tell me about the process. You know, your shoulder started hurting. How long ago did it start hurting? Okay. Three months ago, what'd you do? Well, I, you know, went on to YouTube and I did some exercises, you know, they didn't really help me that much. And then I went to the doctor and got a prescription and then, you know, okay, great. So, I seem to figure out that everybody that's coming in here has done some sort of self-diagnosis type of, you know, they've looked outside for options. You know, the truth is, though, I'll I'll be honest with you, there's not a lot of good options out there, you know. So that's kind of where I found that my mission with this business is to have a good option for these people. And there's a lot of great options for, for someone that's a professional, you know, baseball player that wants to learn how to throw 90 miles an hour. I mean, there's world renowned coaches telling you exactly how to do it all over the place. I don't know why, you know, the, you would think that the actual market for that is small compared to the active adult that's getting hurt because they're naturally, they're actually, you know, actually falling apart naturally, like, like the whole world does. So you would think that this market's tremendously larger than these niche markets that are very competitive. I don't know. I guess it's, they're just more interesting, more sexy. I don't know what, what, what the draw is there. But for an active adult over the age of 50 years old that's hurt themselves, I mean, they really don't know where to go. I would agree. And I think that one of the tactic that you should consider, or at least you should hand off to your content person to think about, whoever's going to own this funnel, is that when we think about the funnel, 
meaning like, hey, the goal at the bottom is to get email addresses and stuff like that. Obviously, a big part of this, because it's content-based, is use these third-party platforms and you know all the stuff we've talked about. But the one other thing to kind of think about, particularly in your case, because you've got an established practice, multiple locations, you know, hundreds of patients coming in and out every week, is it somewhere in your patient intake process or post-visit process, somewhere in there should be a touch point that says, hey, would you like to subscribe to Active Adult? You know, get the weekly newsletter on how to stay healthy, safe, whatever your, your tagline is going to be. And that'll be the easiest sell because these people trust us. They know us. They love us. Uh, if I said, hey, I want to help you out, subscribe to this Active Adult page of mine, I would be surprised when someone would say, no, no, thank you. You know, but it's funny when I'm online on YouTube, one industry that I can relate to pretty strongly, I, I would love to get your your take on it is I like to make barbecue. I like to barbecue. Okay. And the top barbecue YouTube channels usually are a brick and mortar business. So this one I follow is called Goldie's Barbecue. It's the number one barbecue joint in Texas. And, you know, it's like the chicken and the and you know, the egg thing, which came first. I don't know. You know, but I do know that Goldie's Barbecue got rate number one by this Texas, you know, monthly magazine that is the the big magazine every four years, they rank the top 100 barbecue joints. And if you make number one, it basically blows your whole restaurant up to be world famous, right? Well, Goldie's has this pretty successful YouTube channel where the, where the guy that owns it does briskets and ribs and he, he kind of talks about it, right? And then now they're doing multi-million dollar business selling their own branded spices and, and rubs online. And and their their barbecue joint is like, it's impossible to even get into. These people line up starting at two o'clock in the morning. And as soon as their doors open at 8 a.m., they go until they're completely sold out. So do you see the relation between our business and that barbecue business? Yes, but I, I want to address something there because I, like anybody listening to this is probably going to draw some conclusions that we that I don't want them to draw. So first off, one of the common mistakes people make when they start to think about content is they start to think about monetization too early. And I get it. I get why people do it because you got to think about how you're going to make the dollars make sense. I get it, right? But the reason it's a mistake to think about that in the early days is because it will skew the way you create the content. Like you and I have talked about this barbecue place before, and I can't remember if it was after a couple of drinks or not, but I think I remember asking you, like, what is it about that guy that you like following? Like, what is it about it? And you said something along the lines of like, I don't remember exactly how you said it, but I do distinctly remember you said it was that the guy talked in a nice, like a, like a, uh, what's the word? Like you connected with the guy, the face on the camera. He's genuine. Yeah, he's genuine. Yeah, he's genuine. Boom, right there. And that right there is the key because like the opposite is not true. If he had been like super salesy, off-putting or whatever, he wouldn't have gotten the subscriber. And so the thing to think about here is, is that you start with that authenticity. And I guess where I'm going with this is, is that like, you know, you mentioned earlier, like he got, you know, his barbecue place got ranked number one. But look, you and I run businesses. We understand how the world works. What came first? Do you think that he got ranked first by that magazine because it was really good? Or is it possible that he was ranked first because the magazine's really smart? Hey, if we just happen to rank this guy first, his million followers or whatever are going to click to this article, and now we just got a bunch of traffic. 100%. It's the latter, right? Yeah. 
So the thing here is, is that you got to start with authenticity and you got to start by giving away a lot, you know, just give, 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 give away. Like the intangible metric of success, when I look at your content or our content, you know, when I talk to Thomas, like I've said this to Thomas, I think in the, in the past, I want to create content every week that makes people say, holy shit, how are they giving that away for free? If we do that. Yeah, because circling back to your first question that you asked me is, you know, you said I'm the first person in this space that you've seen do this. And I think that's the answer to that question is why, why are you the first person is because no one can wrap their head around giving away something for free that they don't have any path towards making money from, you know, period. Right. That is a good segue to the other thing I want to talk about with this barbecue guy. Now, just to be clear, I don't know him. I am not on that channel, but here's the thing. As he grew his audience, he probably had a lot of opportunities to do affiliate sales. It could be Amazon affiliate links to barbecue tools. It could be whatever, right? That's alluring, right? That's alluring. Like, oh man, I could put like a Amazon link in and whatever, right? But again, that's a third party relationship and you're losing the margins on it. And the thing to understand here is, is that you yourself just described exactly what he does. He's got his own branded rubs now, which means he controls the entire margin on that. So the key here on that particular part is to understand that affiliate sales are not the goal. And I alluded to this earlier when I, th when I said like the primary goal of your content efforts is to give you patience at your Florida locations. The secondary bonus goal would be additional business opportunities. And I said it very broadly because we don't know what those opportunities could be. It could be, I'm making this up as an example, right? But like, you know, you might decide that you've hit 50,000, you know, weekly viewers on your content and you're like, you know what, I'm going to create an exercise ball that's fully branded total therapy of Florida and I'll just source it on Alibaba or something like that. You could totally do that. And now you control the whole margin on it. Right. So you're trying to keep authenticity. You're trying to be genuine and you're trying to get your followers to believe that your mission is to get them to where they need to be and that you're their guide and there's no other strings attached. But if they are looking for an exercise ball that because you're showing them exercises using one of those balls and saying, hey, this is a great exercise and they're going to go out there and buy an exercise ball anyway. So we might as well be the trusted person that says, hey, we vetted 10 brands and this brand is super inexpensive and it, it's held up to our you know, use in the clinics with hundreds and thousands of patients each day. So this is a great bang for your buck here. Take it. So are you saying that there's not, because you said be careful with affiliate type, you know, links relationships. Is that because you don't want to disrupt that trust that you have built with those people? Or is it because there's something else going on that you should be careful with? I tend to think in terms of brackets. This is just me. I'm a weirdo. I think in brackets. What I mean by that is I always think about what's the worst thing that could happen? What's the best thing that could happen? To answer your question now, based on that, the worst thing that can happen with affiliate relationships is that some change or drop in quality of that product that you endorsed now directly falls on your shoulders. You had nothing to do with it, but Justin told me to buy it. Like, Justin, I spent all this money on this thing. It failed within 30 days. And you're like, oh man, why? Well, I'm sorry. Like, you know, that's not my product. I just thought it worked really well. Your brand took a hit for it. So that's the worst case scenario is that like, you're going to get blamed for something you had zero control over. The best case scenario is the uh, uptake in sales is really good, but affiliate margins are not great for most e-commerce products, right? Like 
you know, let's just say you link to the Amazon page. Well, I, I haven't looked recently, but I think the volume, even if you sell the most stuff for them on Amazon affiliate links, I think you barely make 7.5% of the, um, you know, of the revenue, which I don't know how much an exercise ball is, but let's say it's $50. Like you just did a lot of work for like three bucks, <laughs> you know, and then you got to sell a lot of three bucks to get to something that makes it worth, you know, whatever you paid for your content efforts. So the way to think about it is, is that, or at least the way I think about it, I mean, obviously everybody can do it differently is, is that, so you said something like it's about making them believe that it's not that at all. You don't want to make anybody believe anything. You just want to give them, give, 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 give. And every once in a while you make an ask, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk has this like saying, or he has this book that he calls jab, 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 right hook. It's like an old book. But basically what he's saying is, is, you got to give the audience like five things before you make one ask. And even then, if you make that ask, make sure that ask doesn't like expose you to some risk that you don't know about, you know? So hopefully that kind of makes sense there. But I, I just think that like, I get why you have to monetize this, but I would say that like, actually, let me just be really direct with you. Like, I have a feeling that if you were to get 10,000 emails, for every 10,000 emails you get on the active adult email list, I bet you you've got a million dollar revenue opportunity, regardless of whether those people are in Florida or not. Yeah, absolutely. Annually, by the way, annually. Because I think that, you know, that audience size is massive. And longer term, you may decide, like, we're going to do paid webinars. We're going to do a traveling road show. Hell, you might decide to buy practices. You might look at your data and say, wow, 15 or 17% of my email subscribers are in the LA area. I'm going to open up Total Therapy of California and, uh, you know, uh, route them there. So there's a million things you could do. But ideally, try not to put monetization as a metric for your team too early. They really need to be focused on distribution and email capture. Those are the two big things they should be thinking about. Yeah, that's very, very helpful. I appreciate that. These conversations, they still kind of leave me and I'm getting better. I'm getting more confident, but the feeling that I'm left with after hearing you talk is kind of like, all right, I'm not ready to succeed at this business yet. So if I was opening up another brick and mortar business, I would need more substantial, like measurable research to say that this is going to be successful and this is how we're going to do it. And these are the steps of the plan. But when you asked me earlier, hey, what metrics do you use? Like, how do you find that? If in the physical therapy brick and mortar business, there's a hundred million examples of what I could use to say, okay, this is what success looks like. But in the over 50-year-old online digital content world, how do we find KPIs for something we, that doesn't exist? Let me start by saying that companies like yours and mine, so companies like Total Therapy and Strata, just the actual business, we're really good at converting traffic into dollars or patients into dollars, right? Like to call a spade a spade, that's the truth, right? But traditionally, companies like yours and mine, that's all we're good at. We're not good at driving eyeballs. We're not good at anything else, right? Now, just to make the point, let's talk about traditional media companies. So think of like, you know, the newspaper or the magazines that come to your house or the things you subscribe to. Traditional media companies are very, very good at driving eyeballs, but they are the opposite of us in terms of it's really hard for them to convert eyeballs into dollars. And the reason why those KPIs that you're talking about don't exist 
is because the new reality business, and it's not even new. I think it's been this way. I've been, for the last 15 years, built my businesses this way. The reason there's not a lot of KPIs on this is that very few companies have understood that if you become a media company that happens to do what you do, yeah, it's risky because you're stepping into a new world that doesn't have a lot of KPIs, but it's so lucrative because you don't have a lot of competition. Like there's a first mover or early mover advantage. I'm not trying to like shill my companies. I just don't know how to explain this other than to use examples. My venture capital firm, venture capitalists are kind of like doctors in the sense that they're the people that believe that they are super unique. But the truth is like, just like you said in your last episode with us, you're doing yourself a disservice if your whole shtick is to make a patient depend on you. And I was surprised that I worded it the way that I did. You were you did the politically correct version there. <laughs> when I got linked to that uh, that thing this morning and I saw the title of it, I was like, did I really say it that way? <laughs> By the way, just one little aside as a content creator, don't try to filter yourself. The fact is you were authentic about it and just let it be. But back to this, it's like, you know, I don't know how else to explain this. Like traditional venture capitalists, they then like walk around, like as much as venture capitalists are kind of like weirdos and uppity and whatever, what they really do is they walk around with their hat in their hand, looking at rich people and saying, would you please put money in my fund? I didn't want to play that game 15 years ago. So in my firm, why do we have an email list? Why are we doing all this stuff? Because it turns out smart people with money understand that like, I'm not going to go play that game. I'm not going to win that game. So my point is, we just wanted to like own the audience. I wanted to like own the audience. I wanted to give away content. I wanted to be a founder funding other founders. And that is like a weird phrase, but it's so differentiated because like I wasn't going to be inauthentic. Traditional venture capitalists are like, hey, here's $50,000. I better not see you buy nice clothes. You know, like it's kind of ironic, right? Like they show up in their private jet and then they give you a little bit of money and they're like, hey, you're not allowed to act rich, you know? Yeah, yeah, right. We went the other way and I'm like, look, I'm just a normal dude and I want to fund other people. I, I started a company. I didn't come from anything and da, 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 da. And that is unique and differentiated. And then I was able to amass billions of dollars because limited partners were like, oh, well, he's got the audience. He's got the distribution list. Like if we want to be in a deal that matters, at the end of the day, all the money's green. The question is which founders are going to let me into the deal because, you know, of what we can bring to the table. I'm not trying to show my stuff. I'm just saying it's the same thing here. It's the exact same thing here. And I think that like, if you can embrace this idea of like being a media company that happens to be in healthcare, you're going to have a first mover advantage. And in the long term, monetization is the least of your problems. That's going to be the easy part. And again, that's the biggest thing. Like if you take away nothing from this call, I would just say like, just embrace this idea that, and you're already into this. So I'm just speaking more to the audience. It's like, Embrace this idea that if you really want to be a successful practice in 2023 and beyond, you've got to be a media company that happens to be in healthcare. Because this thing that most people do where they're like, hey, I'm in healthcare and that's about it, that's not going to work for the long term. And even if you think it's going to work for the long term, the reality is it's a commodity service. And the market share is shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. You know, now people want to go everywhere for knowledge, not just to their doctor who sends them to a specialist anymore. No, that's not good enough for, for people anymore. Even if you just think of it from the brick and, and mortar, even if you're just competing against the guy next door, you know, it still helps you to be 
the person who's educating. Like you said, if you own the audience, then you can do whatever you want. You have unlimited choice. And, you know, I'm going to regret saying this, but just think about the biggest personality brands that are out there right now. Kim Kardashian, Nick Bear, the barbecue guy that you just talked about, all this stuff. They don't, none of those people do affiliate deals. If they're going to push eyeballs to anything that they want, they're going to own that other thing that they're referring to. And the only affiliate deals like this barbecue guy, I know he probably has some affiliate deals. He's not like linking to them. It's more like sponsorships and it's probably the people that he loves anyway. I don't even know him, but I'll tell you what the game plan there is. Here's what the game plan is for the smartest people. Like when I tell you this, you're going to see this. You're never going to be able to unsee this. When you have a large enough brand, take the affiliate deal, but only do it for a short term period. Because the goal is to see whether or not people will take the deal. And if they take the deal, then you're immediately going to bring that brand in-house. You're going to make your own version. So a good example of this in all of our day-to-day life is Costco, like the big box store. So if you think about Costco, and anybody listening to this, you can Google this. I'm not making this up. There's the Kirkland brand, right? Kirkland brand of liquors, Kirkland brands of jeans, Kirkland brands of meat, everything, right? And what they do is like, Costco will bring in all these vendors and like put their products on the shelves and stuff like that. But there's an internal team that looks at the sell rate of each of these products. And the minute they see something sexy, their internal Kirkland team creates a version of that same product 1% better and puts it right next to the other product on the shelf and then takes all the margin. And every brand does this. I buy Kirkland golf balls and they're like top notch and they're half price of the pro v ones that i used to play so think about like ryan reynolds and like the wrexham you know soccer team and all that stuff right he leveraged his audience into then making a bid for the team and the bid for the team isn't just about dollars it's about bringing eyeballs to that town and so that's what i mean by secondary business opportunities there's just so many things here but like all your opportunities really open up if you can start by building a team and a process that can capture emails on a day-to-day basis, that can crank out content. Not every piece of content is going to hit. You know, like we're publishing two to three things a day now, hopefully, by the time this thing gets published. You know, we started out when Thomas started, it was like, hey, we're going to create enough content where I'm putting out one new clip a day. And here we are at the end of August of 2023. We're gearing up to move that to two a day, you know, in the next week or two. And then as we get into next quarter, somewhere, and we haven't talked about it yet, but I'd really like to see us get to something like eight a day. Now that's a big jump, but I can't get there unless I start with the one a day and we nail that, right? And just to give you a sense, before like Strata as a company, we were probably capturing one email a week, just kind of, and doing nothing with it for a year. And then as we stood up this flywheel, like I I don't feel shy about saying this publicly, like this content strategy for us, we've been now doing for two months, I think. And I believe as of today, we're getting uh, an average of two new emails a day. And I think that if I was a betting person, I would bet you by the end of September. So we're at the end of August right now. I bet you by the end of September, we're at something like five a day. Compound growth is what's happening here, right? And that's the interesting thing about what you're talking about here is that the compound way that these things grow is insane. And I love, by the way, I did not that my opinion matters. When you first told me that you set up active adult, I was like, Oh, in my head, I was like, Oh, I don't know, man. That's, you know, but the more and more we talk about it, the more I think about it, that's really smart. That's really, really smart 
because now you're not limited to Florida for active adults. You're thinking about active adults everywhere. You know, that's really smart. I don't know. The addressable market's way, 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 way bigger, way bigger. Yeah. I talked to a couple people in the space that I won't name any names, but, you know, and I did get both of them that I talked to were a little bit like, oh, that's too big. You know, like they didn't say I was going to fail, but they said, you're going to have a lot more work ahead of you to brand something that big, that brand that big versus if you would have just, you know, say the active adult that's looking for a knee replacement in Florida, you know, that would be an easy brand to grow. I want to be respectful of your time here, but let me just make one comment on this. Like do the minimum amount of work to lock in the brand and no more. Because you don't really know what the font should be. You don't really know what the brand promise is. Like, you're not Coca-Cola. I'm not Coca-Cola, right? So the way to think about it is, is do the minimum amount of work needed to kind of like maybe buy the domain, register the trademark, the minimum amount of work for that. And then really just focus on cranking the content, getting the email captures going, look at the conversion rates, you know, that sort of thing. Look, I think there's a million things I want to change with the Strata brand. But the reality is that like, ah, it doesn't matter until I have 10,000 or 100,000 email subscribers. So it's probably a next year or the year after problem. But like in your case, in three months, so you said you've got a two-year time horizon, right? But like the reality is, is that you're going to know whether it's kind of directionally working or not within the first quarter. I mean, you're your poor marketing guy is probably listening to this now, like kind of shitting himself. But the way to think about this is like, you're going to know within the first quarter whether or not this is going to work. And I'm going to tell you the same thing I tell Thomas, like every time we talk, I'm like, look, the traffic is growing. We can see it. I can empirically see it in Google Analytics. Don't worry about it. Spend all your waking hours thinking about conversion rate. Meaning, you know, as an example, to get to that two emails a day, the way we got there was that it turns out that the email capture form that he had put out there, I'm going to make fun of myself here, not Thomas, the conversion rate on that was like 0.59% or something like that, right? So in other words, for every 20 visitors, we'd get one conversion into an email capture. And I, I was like, kind of like trying to get Thomas. I'm like, dude, just don't worry about the traffic. The traffic is coming. It's happening. Focus on releasing new versions of that email capture form. Let's get that up to 0.7%, 1%. 2%, you know, that sort of thing. To me, that's actually the hardest part is really just making sure that your team, in your case, your content person, as long as they're delivering the content, giving you publishable stuff every day, every week, whatever your cadence is, that's good. And then like, it's just email capture, iteration, learning, you know, just rinse and repeat. It is the unsexy part of what you're trying to do. Is it correct to say though, that the more content, because I mean, you know, you guys just started really putting content out and you're, you said you're going to ramp it up. The more content you have out there, because like you said, the last click attribution, I mean, like you don't know that someone landed on your page didn't already look at a sampling of your content. So if you have a better content out there, then the person might be more likely to click and to sign up with their email versus if they're not seeing a lot of content in a bank that they think it might be valuable that they probably are like, why am I going to sign up for an email list? This guy's got, you know, two videos that he's posted so far or two podcasts, you know, is there anything to that, that your, your capture rate should increase as your content increases? I think I understand your question, but I don't think it's the right question. Okay. So the way to think about this is, is that like, it's a chicken and the egg problem, right? Let me talk to you as if you're not in the room. Maybe I'm talking to your content person as if you are not in the room, right? 
I think what I would say is like, look, it's a chicken and the egg problem. Right now, the problem is nobody outside of Florida knows Justin's face. They don't know Justin's message. They don't know that he's the expert. They don't know that he's the authority. They just don't know. There's a, la- a general lack of awareness. Until we start to like get content going out on a consistent basis, we're not going to be able to fight that fight. Now, if you, Mr. or Ms. Content Person, can just push hard to make sure that one to two episodes get out every week, that I would just tell your content guy or gal to follow our playbook. I want one new clip on Justin's social media platforms every day starting next week. Figure it out. And now that I've told you that, the reality is, is that the answer to your question is yes. In other words, that if there's more content, you're going to get more signups. The answer is yes, but it's nuanced. It's because like, I don't think it's the right question, but I'm going to answer it anyway. The reality is the more and more content you put out there, the more that somebody, like think about what you and I do as individual dudes. When we were all growing up, we all were used to TV shows where it's like, and next week's episode will be whatever. But now what does the world look like today? We binge watch on Netflix. They put out the whole season in the first day. You go on YouTube and you see your your barbecue guy. Let's just pretend you discovered him today. You're going to find some random episode that you're going to discover because of like, it could be an episode, your first experience with that brand, that barbecue brand, if you didn't know him, could be a random video. He You searched best barbecue tools for brisket. And somehow you stumble on maybe one episode of his from like five years ago. You happen to like that two minute clip and you're like, who the hell is this? Hit the subscribe. Man, he's got like 300 other episodes. You start to like, look at that. Every time you come back to YouTube, now it's part of your suggested videos. Anyway, the point is, I want your content person thinking about Flywheel. That Flywheel then gets you to the point where you've got more and more content going out daily. And then it has a compound effect on growth, not a linear. That's the thing. Here's the thought I'll leave you with on this topic. Because you're a practice owner, whether you know it or not, your brain is wired for linear growth because brick and mortar businesses have a linear growth curve to them. And they have an upper limit, like a max limit, because there's only so many patients you can see and all that, right? That's the reality of your business. From a 50,000 foot view, the hardest part for you and your team to grasp when it comes to this media effort is that media has a compound growth rate, not a linear growth rate. And that's what makes it really fascinating. Thanks for listening to another episode of Strata Stories. Strata is a single EMR platform and revenue cycle management service for physical, occupational, and speech therapy practices that helps you achieve a 99.99% reimbursement rate. If you'd like to learn more about Strata, head over to stratapt.com or email us at hello at stratapt.com.